Okay, so I'm talking on the A7 IV because you can use this as a live streaming device because I found out from the last episode, I was like, why do I look so pretty? Because <laughs> that's not a word you usually use with me. The studio displays that I use from Apple have a beautification effect and I can't figure out how to turn it off. So I have like this like flawless skin and I don't know, it's a problem. So I'm live streaming from my A7 IV to the Mac Studio where I then run everything else, so it's great. I think you're uh, you're being hard on yourself. I think you're the beautiful person that you need to uh, let the camera show the beauty. Yeah, I'm I'm beautiful on the inside. <laughs> Do you see my shirt? Yeah, where'd you get that? Because Sticker Mule sends those emails out, like you can buy one shirt for like nineteen bucks. You know? Yeah, this is one of those shirts. God, I need to. I have. I am so out of it for everything. You're not around a computer as much as I am. Right. Which is good that you're around it because that means you're working, right? Yeah. So much. Did you get out in Moose today? <sighs> yeah. Yeah, I forgot. I'll totally forgot about this. <laughs> <laughs> I was telling Eric that I was standing at the Overlook at this popular place we go. And I was, the mountain is out today, Mount McKinley or the Denali, the mountain's out. So I was taking a picture of it and my phone went off and you had sent the link to the podcast and I'm like, oh no. And I couldn't remember what time we said. So that's why I was like, give me 20 minutes. And it's usually like 17 minute drive. So, whew. So it worked. Well, I think I was late. I was holding you guys up. No, we were just goofing with our setup. But I did, I I rode my bike today and I did see a brown bear. And I don't know, probably like eight moose. I didn't pull my camera out of my bag. It was all from the just binoculars kind of stuff. But Eight moose is good. Yeah. How about you, Eric? Mm, I had one moose in my backyard <laughs> two days ago. That's been the extent of my moosing, yeah. Basically lost the last week due to the good old COVID. So. And how are you feeling? Laying low. Feeling better, still testing positive, but I think I'm at day seven or eight now, so a couple more days, and I have to call it good enough according to the CDC. So, <laughs> luckily, I'm just going outside and playing in the woods. I don't think I'll get anyone sick. So, d- did yeah. you have like the full on symptoms, like loss of taste, aches, yeah, all that stuff? Yeah, first couple of days were like got hit by a bus, achy, couldn't hardly sleep, just headache and everything, and then. Lost my taste, found out while my wife was baking cinnamon rolls that I couldn't smell them. And so then <laughs> four days later, I finally ate one because I froze it. And I'm like, I'm not missing out on this thing. <laughs> Last night, I dug into one and I could kind of taste sweet and cinnamon, but <laughs> it wasn't the full effect yet. So brutal. I'll be sipping on my hot tea to keep my throat <laughs> going. Hopefully you get better faster. Yeah, I'm ready to get back out there. But all the leaves are falling off here, man. It's. One day I had enough energy and I went out and picked up the leaves in the front yard, but they've been replaced by more leaves. So we are pretty much wrapping up fall at this time. Yep. Yeah. And it's what, October 7th right now. So yeah, yeah, it's pretty much, pretty much falls over. And I guess probably in Denver, it's the leaves haven't even turned yet. They're turning now. Fails. I'm seeing pictures of Vale, bright yellow right now. So people are definitely enjoying that. It was frosty for the first time today. Really? So. Yeah, Dean's trampoline had some frost on it, so 
We had to put our coats on. <laughs> I said burr as I walked to my Jeep. <laughs> it's not so bad. But now it's like 70 degrees, so. Yeah. We had snow on our windshield really? the other morning mm-hmm. in town. You guys did? Mm-hmm. It wasn't up at the higher elevation, but down where we were at, all of our stuff was covered in snow. Not the grass, but the cars and stuff that were cold. Yep. Winter's coming. Can I say yep. that? Is that trademarked? I don't know. <laughs> I think you can say it. Well, you guys are headed to Florida soon. Have you looked at the weather and where you're going? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we leave tomorrow for Florida. What is it like down there? Uh, it's 88 degrees, <sighs> 49% humidity. Are they going to use you as a runway? Have you seen any sun on your skin? Man, this is the first year that I've never, ever, I didn't even put on a pair of shorts. Unless I was at home, you know, (laughs) working around the house, I've had shorts on. But my legs have not seen the sun in months, well, since last year. Yeah, it's going to be terrible. And I'm bringing a bunch of shorts. So what it is, is Brandon and I have a commercial shoot for one of our clients. And uh, it's in Florida, so we'll be there for a full week. So I'm flying from Alaska to Florida tonight. It's one of those deals where you buy a ticket on one day and you get there the next day. Gross. Yeah, it's going to be terrible. But it's work and I'm not complaining. Because <laughs> that has been pretty slow this year. Not for you, Brandon. It's been slow for me. Well, on the natural history side, yeah. Natural history side started out busy, got slow, and then um, it's cool because you get to do your own thing, but getting a job like this is pretty cool because it helps out for the fall or helps out for the the last quarter of the year. Well, with that, do you want to do our uh, introduction? Do we have an intro? Welcome. (laughs) Welcome to the truth and legend. (laughs) <laughs> podcast nice shirt by the way for all y'all that are not watching brandon's representing big mm-hmm. time yeah i didn't wear my hat because i thought maybe that was like over too redundant <laughs> put two stickers here maybe right <laughs> a magnet on your microphone <laughs> right is your microphone the correct way this this time it was driving me nuts because the shirt was upside down last episode yeah all, everyone <laughs> oh, go no, watch it's the last upside episode. down you <laughs> know the whole time i was just like Yeah, look at it. <laughs> yeah, we all know who has a problem here. <laughs> hmm. That's paying attention to details that I'm not very good at. Unless it's in a viewfinder. Speaking of viewfinders, I have that Zacuto for that FX6, and it's the one that goes over the... Let me back up. So Sony's on these FX6 cameras, and Eric can corroborate this or tell me I'm out in left field. They're the worst. I don't know if anyone out there enjoys the, the little, I don't know, three-inch in-camera monitor, but they're the worst. Like Sony, we need aftermarket monitors that work with the touch. And so I bought this Zacuto EVF thinking, okay, I'm going to do the EVF thing. I, I can't do the EVF like at all. It bothers me so much filming with my eyeball in these things. So that's my long way of saying I don't know how EVF guys film with those things. I uh, It's a preference thing for sure. And I think it's an older 
the older generations, you know, everybody used viewfinders and that's what they just got used to. I shoot with a couple of guys that they just will not shoot unless they have a viewfinder. And I've had both and I've migrated over to the big, I don't know, seven inch screen. And man, it's so much easier. I don't, you know, I have to wear glasses to see, to read something that's fairly, you know, like you're reading a book. I'll, I'll wear the cheaters just to see that and make it bright or make it sharp and, you know, legible and easy to read. And I probably should wear them for the screen because I'm about that distance away, but the monitor is big enough. And if I'm using peaking, I didn't wear glasses for the whole summer shooting and everything I'm shooting is sharp. So I think it's all in what you get used to, but the problem with the Sony, and I don't know, I, I think it's probably across the board. They're just terrible as far as, I don't know if that's a way to save money. I mean, Sony makes some of the best sensors and best monitors in the world. They make high quality screens. <laughs> Why don't they put it, or at least give you the option. It'd be great Something. if you guys could say, yeah, yeah. it'd be great if you guys could just do a checkbox and say, yeah, I'll spend an extra 1500 bucks or whatever it is to have that nice monitor. Cause you're going to spend it aftermarket. Actually, you're going to spend more. Right. You're going to spend 2,500 bucks on a small HD. Yeah. And small HD does the camera control options with the Sony Venice, but they just haven't trickled it down to the lower end ones. Port keys, I know, does have the FX6. You still have to retain the the stock monitor. So I'm like, oh yeah, if you can't eliminate it, then it's yeah. Yeah, every Sony mirrorless body, all their cameras, every single one of them is the worst monitor. The back pack of the cameras, uh, LCD is trash. They're all trash. You get used to like, this will look good on a real screen taking stills and stuff. But I mean, the, there are, the viewfinder on the cameras are pretty decent. They finally upped that game, but gosh, make a freaking, <laughs> they make LCD screens. <laughs> Put a good one on the camera, your flagship camera. Come on. I haven't shot with the A7R5, the one with that new screen that they have. Mm, yeah. So maybe they fixed it with that one. So. I can't speak for that, but the FX3, the FX6, the A1, the A7 IV, the A7R4, not sufficient for video monitoring. Especially right. in bright light. Agreed. Right? Yeah. If you're outside, it's a, it's a problem. You know, the flip side, I think it's just the overall cost. I mean, they're getting you into a camera for a really reasonable price. Yep. And it's going to sell more cameras than if they put a big 7-inch extra bright or whatever they call it, very bright mm -hmm. screen on there that's going to add two or 3,000 bucks. But I think if you want to do it, if you want to have the bright stuff, especially if you're shooting outside a lot, you you should spend the extra cash. And then the good thing is, is that monitor will work for other cameras. So it's not like it's married 100% to that FX6. Right. Well, and there's new, so let's see, the... Uh, a7 for the ZVE1. There's a bunch of cameras that work with the new app. You can use your phone as a monitoring device, which is pretty cool. And so your iPhone is a really good monitor. And there's not a bunch of lag. It's all done wirelessly. So that is something that maybe you could do one of these mounts in the shoe and use that. I have not done that because the A1 is not supported. The FX6 isn't supported. So I've not done that. But it is something that I've thought about doing. I think that's 
coming in a firmware update, right? Sometime allegedly. Next year. Yep, <laughs> this infamous firmware update. For the, so right, what's the deal? Coming. So you're going to be able to use your uh, phone, whether it's Galaxy or I mean, uh, Android or iPhone, and it will serve as a secondary monitor. Yeah. Yep. It's almost like remote shooting. You can control the camera that way, but it's also a, a monitor and it works pretty much lagless. And they'd had it with their Sony. I forget the, cam the not the camera, their phone that they have. I think it's the Xperia maybe. Mm -hmm. And if you had one of those, you could just plug it in and always use that. But now they've pushed it into this app and they're allowing the monitoring to happen via the app. And so that's something that in the future we can just, that's one less thing to carry, right? Because you always have these phones and I carry the, the pro max so you can get the most cameras with the Apple iPhone iPhones. And so you have a decent monitor with you already. So one less thing to carry and they're decent son. It'd be fun to try it out and just see how it works in your workflow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, when we're on a commercial shoot, it seems like you're getting text messages all the time and, you know, they want you to do this or do that or whatever, and it's your communication device. And so it'd be hard to dedicate it. Agreed. But if you're out in the woods and you're off the grid, that'd be great because you're not using it for anything else. Although then you got to worry about batteries, Battery. but I suppose you could just go D-tap since you guys are both running V-mounts on your FX6 Yeah, just throw a USB systems. in there. Right. Well, and actually, the system that I'm filming on with this A7 IV... So I'd shown you that system before, Michael, where I have the, the rod mount on the bottom, then I put a quick release, and then a V-mount on the back. I actually was able to just swap on another mount for the A7 IV, and that A7 IV slid into that mount. So I'm running a V-mount system with the A7 IV and a dummy battery talking to you all right here. And it worked flawless. So that whole system seems to be working. So we'll probably do a video on that. Because I think a lot of you could get some benefit from the commercial side of mounting a V-mount instead of the little uh, Sony batteries. Even and You could do this with a Canon, you could do it with Fuji, whatever. But then you get a big V-mount. I have a, I think that's a 50 on the back V-mount, so it's going to last a long time. Well, we're doing this podcast that'll support the YouTube videos that we're doing, right? So that is... That would be perfect. If you did, and we could possibly do it when we're out in Florida if we have extra time. Yeah. So if we talk about something on the podcast, chances are we're going to do a, a video on YouTube about it, which would be kind of cool to highlight just exactly that, right? And I think you guys both, we were talking earlier this week, the V-mount adapter, they're not all created equal, right? So if you're worried about audio, you definitely need to spend the money to get the right one. And I think that's some of those things that we can help with where you just don't have to buy something that doesn't work. When you start moving into the realm of V-mounts, you've got to spend some money. So there's cheap options out there. I've tried them. They don't work, <laughs> for me at least. So, yeah, I think that's a, a great point, Michael. Maybe we should do that. Yeah, and so just quickly, just for the podcast listener, you guys, I think, Brandon, you have a Tilta V-mount adapter. Mm -hmm. And, Eric, you have is your small rig? Yeah, I went with the small rig, but I'm already ready to replace it because, like Brandon, um, we talked about before, it, it's just noisy. There's a whiny electrical circuitry noise that, when the plate's on, it's noisy, and the cable that goes from the DTAP to the power source in the camera, just that box is noisy. So if I bypass the plate 
and just plug right into the battery, I still get half the noise just from the cabling itself. So anyone has a great, very, very quiet or silent one, <laughs> let me know. Cause I went cheap just to get it built out and knowing that I would modify it as things went, but yeah, it's gotta go soon. Cause trying to capture on camera audio is impossible. Yeah, the Tilta is quiet, so you'll benefit from that one. The problem with mm -hmm. the Tilta is it's one that goes in and actually uses a dummy battery like plate system. Mm -hmm. So you need a top mount then because you, you want to tie it into the top mount so that you don't have the issue of... So for those that don't know the FX6 camera, because that probably didn't make any sense for those that don't have the FX6, they still use the Sony batteries, and they're a smaller... Um, cartridge style battery and so they actually go into the, the camera on the back side and then down and so the the tilt system goes in and where that battery goes but if you put a big v-mount on the back there you're putting a lot of load on those little plastic clips and so the the tilt system actually has a, a screw on the top now i had the bright tangerine top plate so i had to take that off which was a bummer because it had the nato rails on the top and that's where i would put my monitor Right now I'm using a magic arm off the back. I'm not happy about that because it's just, it's kind of cumbersome. The center of gravity is now at the back because I have this battery and a monitor and it works when I'm using a big 400 or 200 to 600 lens. But with a 28 to 135 on there, it just doesn't, it doesn't have the weight up front. And so I, I'm trying to figure something out on that. I don't know. But yeah, it doesn't make any noise on the tilt system at least. But it's more cumbersome. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many pros and cons and all these plates looking at stuff that no one makes it just quite perfect. So, <laughs> And you're using the, the small rig via the 15 millimeter rods? Is that what you're yeah, using? Yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I went with, uh, um, it's a blue Condor Blue base plate for the rods. And I at first liked it because it has a quick camera release plate that's actually like an Arca Swiss style. So the plate that you screw onto the camera, if you pull the camera off the rods, you can still throw it on an Arca Swiss, which is exactly what all my tripods yep. are, you know? And so I thought that would be really handy. Well, I'm never now adding a V mount needing like rods to mount the battery or this and that I've yep. never taken it off of that. So I eventually I'll probably upgrade, but again, I bought a lot of stuff while I was, I had foot surgery a couple winters ago and just started buying stuff and I built it out while I was sitting on a couch in a cast for three months and never actually used it. Now that I'm, you know, out shooting with it, I'm finding a few things that I'll need to change. But at this point I just got to get out and shoot. I'm sick of buying stuff, that gear paralysis where you just stare yep. at the computer and like, just go shoot. <laughs> These rods aren't yep. going to make anything better or worse right now. <laughs> so, That's great advice. Yeah. Yeah. It's good advice, but I also think, I mean, if we, serve a purpose out there then it's just hopefully figuring this kind of stuff out for all the people that so they don't have yeah. to spend the time or spend, yeah exactly you know, and yeah you're going to spend a little bit more money but if you're not having to buy things twice then you're probably going to save money down the road yeah yep. but secondarily the other uh thing to that is if you have audio problems in the field so eric and i have had we before he got taken down for the week because of being sick we were out shooting a lot, right? And one thing you don't notice about moose is they're really vocal in certain situations. 
and I'm sitting there shooting and everything I shoot with the red is pretty much no audio when I do any sort of BBC work or they all do that. They do all that work later. Well, when you're doing the work yourself, you're like, oh my gosh, I don't have an audio person that's just going to go fix all this stuff. So I got to get some audio. And it is so hard to come up with the right system for in the field audio for what we're trying to do. So if you have problems with the camera mount and it's creating some sort of hum or something, that's one thing, right? Let's say you eliminate that problem. Then the second thing is, is between Eric and I, I think we've tried, I don't know, three or four different mics and they all suck. They're all terrible as far as trying to capture something that might be 30 feet away. You know, if you're, if you're doing an interview and someone's five feet away and you're using a road microphone on the top of your DSLR or on the top of your video camera, it's probably going to be usable. It may not be perfect. It not, might not be like buttery, just awesome audio, but it's definitely going to get the point across, especially for a YouTube video with, a, with something that's 30 feet away. And even as loud as they are, you guys will be surprised when you see this latest video that I did, which was the moose. Um, it's like the building of a rut pit thing. <laughs> the audio that I used for that was all out of a GoPro and it was from a trail camera GoPro and I had no control over it. It was just the GoPros would trigger and I was able to use that audio and then basically fully in all the audio from the, for this last video. Cause I wasn't getting anything and you start watching a video and Eric, I threw up a draft. And one of Eric's first comments on it was it on that video was, well, it's great and everything, but we need to hear some that sound. We need to hear the, the, the sound of where you're at and not just the visual. We all get caught up in all the visuals and the sound is so important. So yep. I think we're still trying to figure it out. You know, I think you're going to end up having to go to some sort of parabolic mic for the outdoor world type work. Mm -hmm. Seems like it. What do you think, Eric? Because you are the audio guy. I mean, when, when we started teaming up, the three of us, Eric is very much into audio, not audio. Yeah. I just love home audio and music. Music. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice home entertainment system, high fidelity, good, that sort of stuff. So then, yeah, listening to all these, I mean, obviously the, the, the music video style of wildlife, it always looks pretty, but yeah, when you don't have that net sound, it's just, you just don't feel like you're there and having been there and then watching the video back, I'm like, this just doesn't quite feel the same and, and trying to figure out the best method. My issue is I just don't want to go spend a couple grand and get a professional parabolic because I'm not going to buy the cheap option anymore. I've, you know, 10, 15 years of photography and you learn just buy the best one because you're going to replace it down the road. And I, I think we're going to get to that point, but yeah, I, I don't, there's no other better way. We've tried drop kits where we leave mics out in the field and hope that stuff walks by to pick up sound. And it's just so hit or miss that it's not a reliable enough source. If we're going to travel somewhere for a couple weeks to, to really capture stuff. We got to get that part of it dialed in if we're going to add, you know, realist that actual audio into it. But yeah, I've tried on camera a couple different microphones and I just, 
not a huge Sony also the FX six is not great. The, having to use the top handle and and stuff, it's it it lacks some features that would be effective. But um, yeah, the challenge though too, if you spend the money on the good stuff, let's say you buy a nice uh, what are they Eric twenty four inch. Yeah, 22, 24. But they make them fairly uh, flexible, so you can roll them up. But it's just something else, number one, to carry. And number two, who's going to operate the thing when you get out there? So if you're trying to get all the footage and then, you know, set up a microphone, you really need someone that just says, you know what, I love audio so much that I don't care about the visual part of it. I care about capturing these really cool little sounds of nature. And, you know, that's when you're going to get the the biggest bang for the buck and i guess if you're in a situation like we have been for the last two or three weeks where you're out every day trying to find a moose story to tell you could say okay well today i'm just gonna go do audio but i can't do that i've grown up with the visual and it kills me to not have a camera with me so it's for me, I'm always going to say, well, if I'm going, I'm taking a camera. So then you try to take it all and try to do it all, and then you just mess up everything. So it's a conundrum. Yeah. Yeah, having a 20-inch parabolic mic hanging off of your camera isn't going to allow for very steady images at 600 millimeters in any sort of breeze. And then every time you bump everything, the sound travels through it. Yeah. So I was about ready to, like abandon long lens and just move over into audio when I had to pull myself out of the game. So that'll be a to be continued <laughs> improvement plan with with audio and trying to shoot a little bit wider behind the scenes stuff too. So that's that was my goal, but now all I can do is theorize it in my head and hopefully implement it in the field down the road. What were you gonna say, Brandon? I was just going to ask how that YouTube video is going. Oh, I think I'm done. But every day I go back and look at it and it's like, God, this could be better. This could be shorter. Or this could be, or I sound really dumb or, <laughs> you know, you guys have both showed, pointed out things where it's like, well, how come you didn't eat the biscuits? <laughs> you talked about the biscuits, but you didn't eat the biscuits. And I'm like, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> Or I probably did, and I didn't film it. I don't know. It's yeah, just, exactly. It's a big learning curve. You know, it's just something you just constantly. I think once you get in the groove and once you get a couple successful videos that you really like and you got it all and you did everything right, Brandon, you know the game. I mean, you played that for a couple of years where you just. Terrible. But if you get the formula just right, it it's. I think you're never going to be satisfied. 100%. Agreed. Which is good, right? Because then yeah. it just yeah. gives you a reason to go back out. Yeah, I think for those that haven't done a YouTube channel and, and tried to, I mean, there's probably some advice in there somewhere where it's like, if you want to be a professional cameraman or if you want to be a director of photography, something like that, and you want to run your own company that produces videos, the first thing you should do is try and YouTube just anything, how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And you will quickly figure out where you're deficient because you, not only are you going to film it, you're going to edit it. And when you start editing that and you pull it into the editing software, that's when you realize, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm a terrible cameraman. Because they're like, 
I forget what we're, we were talking about the bear one that I'm editing, right? And uh, Michael and I were talking about wides. And sometimes you just get fi- so fixated on bears because you don't, it's not something you see every day. Well, for 99% of us. And you just get enraptured by them. And next thing you know, you're like, I didn't capture a single mountaintop, a single tree, a flower, the blowing wind across the grass. And those are all stories because when you're watching these visuals, right, you're seeing this grizzly walk through the grass, the wind's blowing and the, the grass is moving with the wind. But did you capture any of it? It's walking through the stream. Did you capture any of it? getting fish did you try and get any of that and so all of a sudden it turns into this game of like well i captured the bear and the bear eating a fish but i need everything else and i have five hours of a bear eating capturing fish and you're like it's cool but it's just not a story right and so yeah i think if you think if you want to be a director of photography you want to go run something or you want to just go off and be a freelancer Start your own YouTube and try and try and make a YouTube video. Just anything. How to talk on a sure microphone. Without the label being upside down. <laughs> no, that's good advice. And when I, I ran a TV channel for a while, a lot of years ago, and when somebody w- would want to come in and become a camera person, I would say, okay, let's go and take give them a camera and no no instruction at all. And then I would just have them edit what they shot over the course of a two or three or four hour period and just try to come up with some simple little one 60 second story. And that's where you quickly figure out those deficiencies. It's like, Oh yeah, well I followed this way too long and I didn't get an establishing shot and I don't have blah, blah, but whatever, whatever it was. And you quickly learn some of the best camera guys that I've ever worked with camera people are really good editors. So once you get into that editing thing and you have those problems, you quickly realize, okay. Now the benefit we have is Brandon and I were in the same location last year and he was in very much in the YouTube mode and he shot a lot of that stuff. And then I did do a fair amount of GoPro stuff from like the boat or some other things. So, and I did shoot, you know, grass blowing and some of those little intricacies but still don't have it all even with that help that we're gonna have from the extra stuff you know you end up having to make up stuff or use graphics or you know try to change it up so that it still flows and is interesting to watch yeah to say i think it's a common problem across the industry though because i watch you know productions on netflix or whatever and you'll end up seeing the same shot used two or three times and it's like, yeah, maybe they missed out on some of the shot list of the B-roll stuff or scenic. So, Well, I guess another challenge there is, too, is you go out and you can only carry so much. And you with a limited budget and you're trying to do it all, it's the same as with the audio. I have a, a red system with a wide-angle lens on it. So do you, you can't carry it all, though. You can't carry a red with a long lens and a red with a small lens and then a tripod and all your stuff and all your batteries. So it's one of those things where if you get very methodical about it, you do one day audio, one day is your wides, the next day is your tights. But then you run into that whole thing, whereas if I'm out there shooting wides and the most epic behavior of whatever we're shooting happens the day you're shooting wides, you miss it all. 
And that's really the hook for the whole story, right? Those tights that describe or show behavior are so important for the overall hook of the program. It's the most important thing. So I guess maybe you do, you get the hook and then you just say, okay, I've got that part of the story. Now I'm going to get focus on everything else. Maybe that's the way to do it. And if you miss something, you miss something, but at least you know, you've got something for your story. Well, and I, th- I think for like most YouTube stuff, it's easier than what we're trying to do because sometimes like we're not just trying to make up a story about a moose, right? Like we're not like this moose is tracking down Stella, the cow, and we're just not making up a story, right? We're trying to witness the stories and tell that visually. Whereas a lot of the, I don't know, like the big beast one that you did, that was specifically about that fight, right? And so they were looking for that. That was their story. And so if you're working for someone, that's a lot easier. They're going to tell you, hey, I want this, this, this. That's awesome. That's easy. Well, I say it's easy to get. It's easier to get than making your own story in the field. But I, whereas like some of the YouTubes, right, you can be like, I'm going to review the the Sony a seven four and you go out and do that and you can make a storyboard. That's easier. Go make that storyboard and you're going to do a better job probably telling that story. I think we, or at least for me, that's why I struggle with the natural history side is I would love to tell a story of the lifespan of a moose or a brown bear. I'm just not there for their entire life. I'm there for a day. Right. A fraction of time. Yeah, it is a little bit more difficult. And the funny thing about the whole thing is, is that video of the A7S, whatever you said, four or five or 12 or yeah. 72. 15, yeah. Those get more views than the natural history thing. So right. why waste your time chasing? And I say chasing, I hate that word. Yeah. Why waste your time trying to film a moose doing something cool when you could go do a video on a V-mount battery system and it's going to get way more views. And you don't have to wait for the behavior you just shoot it as you see it on a rainy day when you can't go out i think it's a story of love yep yeah <laughs> uh i was gonna that's a great segue uh you sent me something that we were talking about the camera traps with the moose last time right so you you actually set up the gopro you had that great story where it was like 10 minutes like wildly a success you guys have left that out there and you actually got something that will help us finish off another YouTube video that we've talked about before, which was three ways to use a GoPro. So maybe you want to talk about that, man. If we don't get all these videos done, we are just totally like, people are going to be like, I thought you said you were going to do this. And I thought you were going to do this. So it's great. Cause it's putting us on the hook, but yeah. Yeah. So it's the, the bear thing, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you're referring to? That's what I'm referring to. We didn't talk about that on the last podcast? I've Maybe we've all talked about it, and I thought we did, but... I don't think we did. I think we only no, talked about the moose. Yeah, we no, yeah. So, Brandon and I worked for, I don't know, what would you say, three or four months trying to get a predator on... Too long. A camera trap situation using a GoPro. The three ways to use a GoPro in the, for wildlife production. And one of those things was, is a predator situation, because a lot of times you just... Predators are somewhat elusive in certain habitats and certain species. And the thing that Brandon and I worked on was trying to get them out. Cause we we're like, if we're going to go big, let's go, go big or go home. 
right? So we're like, okay, let's try to get a mountain lion. Three or four months on that thing. And while we were in the right place and there were lions around, we never captured one on an actual GoPro. We got one at night on a trail camera. So we knew we were in the right spot, but we just had, you know, we just didn't get any luck with any daytime footage. So then we thought, okay, well, then we're just going to have to say, this is how you do it. The possibility is there, but unfortunately we don't have any footage to show you. So it was still going to become a way to use a GoPro, but we didn't have footage to support it. So then you fast forward to these moose ruts that we've been filming, that Eric and I have been filming for the last, I don't know, three or four weeks. They do a thing called a rut pit, which is a very intense moment in a moose uh, um, reproduction cycle. And it's a way that, it's a, it's a, what would you call it? It's a um, messy. No, it's a, it's just, just like a behavior a, that they yeah. do as part of the rut. So it's, it's very intentional and it's a lot of animals do it. You'll see elk do it. Only they call it an elk wallow mm-hmm. with a moose. They call it a rut pit. So, but it's high intense action. You never know where they're going to be made. They're totally at random and it's usually big bulls making them and you are not going to get close and you're not going to be able to set up a, a camera because they're random. It's not like they return to the same spot to do this. So we thought, okay, well, we'll never get the actual big bull doing it. But once a rut pit has been made, other animals of that species will come in and visit it for the next two or three days. Cause it's, you know, the small bulls want to smell like that, or they want to get all muddy and all, you know, odiferous. And then cows will come in. So I thought, well, let's put up a GoPro on that situation. And hopefully we'll get the other action. And we did get that. So I think it was going to serve our purpose because it's a dangerous situation, right? So it's not something you want to be close to, but if you had a little GoPro set up and it was on the camera trap setting, then you're probably going to get it. So we got that. So I was talking with these guys about that. We're going to be able to complete that video with actual footage. And then a couple of days later, I went in to, check the cameras that we had running or actually change batteries. And I didn't look at the footage on the camera. I just pulled the card, put another one in and got back here to download. And I'm going through the footage and I'm not expecting anything other than moose. Right. And we got a a brown bear coming through and it was chasing something. So whatever it was chasing triggered the camera. So we missed that, but you can clearly see that the, the, it had swooshed by a tree and the tree branches are all floating in the wind or just floating because of the activity that went by it. And then here comes this brown bear right after it. So yeah, it's a pretty cool little thing. It actually shocked me when I was watching it, when I was just going through the footage, I'm like, Whoa, you know, it's like the physical jump back. Like that bear's coming right at me kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, so he's loud cold. and huffing. <laughs> it was impressive. Yeah. You're going to want to check out this video, the three ways to use the GoPro. <laughs> in the field for wildlife production. The problem is now I've identified like two more good ways to use them. Right. So it's like a never anything. It'll be three ways to not the only three ways, but it'll be three ways. Well, you also captured some birds, so we can put the birds in there too. <laughs> oh, really? There's been so many, birds? so many white wing crossbills this year, the cone crops really good. So the crossbills have been keeping us company and they go in and use That's the pit. Cool. Cause it's just, you know, this dug up earth. 
And so there'll be a group of like 30 crossbills in there. You know, I don't know if they're just trying to get grit for their um, digestion and stuff, but yeah, they're in there picking at the, the rut pit pretty regularly too. So some GoPro bird action in masses. I mean, there might be 20 or 30 crossbills Mm -hmm. in a little, you know, these rut pits can vary in size, but there might be like three feet by three feet of bare dirt, but you might have 20 or 30 birds in there and they're chirping away. So we actually get really cool audio. You get them fluttering away. You get all kinds of cool audio just from the GoPro because those, their action sets it off. So that's cool. I wonder what they're in there doing. I was wondering if it was seeds, you know, cause as a nope. moose comes in, it might knock off seeds, you know, little grasses and stuff that have went to seed or something. I don't know. Cause crossbills are ground feeders. Seed feeders. They, I mean, they're seed feeders. cones. Crossbill is intentionally like cross so that they can pull the seed out of a cone. So you almost okay. always see them up in the tops of the trees feeding on the cones up there. Okay. But I don't know. I mean, like you know, grouse and stuff always feed on the side of the road to get those little pebbles for their gizzard right. to grind up all the food. So I'll need to look and see if, I don't know, if all the birds do that or mm-hmm. or what. Maybe it's minerals cool. or something. Who knows? Eric's the birder of, out of all of us, so he'll be the one to know for sure. I'll try and figure it out. <laughs> I can just guess. But he'll walk down the trail and show me. He's like, hey, check out these alder seeds, and he'll be tapping mm-hmm. it. He's like, see these seeds? That's what all the crossbills are eating. That's cool. So that's why I threw that out there. I thought, well, maybe that's it, but who knows why it is? It's but on every rut pit we had a camera on, there were always birds on it. So speaking of foraging, so do, you guys have blueberries up there, right? Yep. Yep. Like where you're shooting the moose. Yep. Mm-hmm. Do you have a ton of birds that feed on the? Like, do you have the wax wings that come up and do that, or are they? Most of the wax wings. Bird? I mean, we have uh, bohemian wax wings predominantly up here. And they usually, I mean, in the summer times, they're a little bit more northern and kind of wet, swampy land. I think okay. they're mainly feeding on insects and stuff. In the wintertime, I've just in the last week started to hear a few uh, groups back in town. But they mainly, I think, mm-hmm. stick around because in, in town, all the ornamental trees, you know, the um, choke cherries and mm-hmm. um, uh, different ones like that that people plant, apples and stuff they will feed on all those mountain ash is a big one you know the big groups of red berries okay. and you'll see a flock of 200 wax wings come in in the winter time and just destroy the the a mayday tree in a neighborhood and then the next neighborhood gets hit up and they just move all around town we get american robins that actually overwinter in anchorage too mainly just because of all the the food and it's all, mainly the ornamental fruit trees that people have planted so I don't know if there's stuff that probably cool. feeds on it. I'm sure like, I don't know, ptarmigan or grouse or something might supplement their diet with that, but I've never seen anything. Well, like and I'm sure the bears are feeding after that. Yeah. And the bears obviously are, but um, I think the insects yeah. are probably a higher level of food protein for them during the summer when they're, when they're out. There was okay. a study that I recently read that they were doing a study on wolves and it, they showed that wolves eat more blueberries. Oh, really? Yeah. The, in, during a certain time of year than anything else. They'll just load up on the blueberries. And actually, Eric and I were out filming the other day, and his wife came out. They've got a pretty <laughs> young dog that she runs a lot. And I don't know what we were out a couple miles. Eric and she yeah. was, we were out there all day, so she was bringing Eric some soup. <laughs> and uh, the dog comes out and with her, and Eric gets the soup, and the dog sits there and eats nothing but blueberries the whole time we're there. 
she How just funny. lays down and she just goes to town on the blueberries. So it definitely the canines like it. That's awesome. So, and the wolves get it. And they're delicious. I mean, we are yeah. the same way. We forage all day long. If you're in a blueberry patch or a place where there's blueberries, I get caught up eating blueberries when I probably should be shooting something, but it, they're delicious. That's awesome. So what does a Uber for soup in the, in the middle of Alaska cost? The other thing that's delicious is hot soup delivery <laughs> a few miles out the trail. <laughs> all it cost was a, hey, I'm kind of hungry text. The thing you all need to know is Eric's wife is an ultra runner and yeah. she puts on the miles every day. So this was like, this was nothing. You want me to want run, bring soup out to you 10 miles yeah. away. Okay. No problem. <laughs> I was going to go for a run anyway. Yeah. She's like, oh, I was That's actually awesome. kind of thinking about not running today, but good excuse to get out. So <laughs> I decided to show up <laughs> and she's got this huge thermos of soup. <laughs> Yeah, and she has this little running vest, and the little thermos fits right in her running vest, and she just comes trucking out, <laughs> delivers the soup, and then poof, she's gone. Well, Two minutes she later, gives the yeah. dog time to eat blueberries, and then they leave. Spoiled. I had one other thing that I was going to say about all that. About the bear? Mm. It escapes me when we get off on the, the whole blueberry tangent. Well, maybe we can talk about, because technically the bear that you saw would be a coastal bear brown bear but it's a temperament of a grizzly right yeah so the definition in alaska or amongst most biologists is if a bear is if a brown bear is within 75 miles of the coast it's technically called a brown bear if it's an inland bear brown bear beyond the 75 miles it would technically be a grizzly so in anchorage we are very close to the water right you got the whole cooking lane right there so all these bears are well within the 75, but most of these bears are high mountain bears and there's not that much salmon running. There are salmon streams and Eric has a stream running behind his house and he saw salmon in it the other day for the first time in several years. Mm -hmm. So there's technically bears fishing for salmon right here in Anchorage, but they have the temperament and they're more similar to a brown bear that you would find in like grizzly or a brown bear that you would find in denali their habits are very similar to that temperament diet all that stuff yeah. yeah and the reason you can get close to a brown bear on the coast is because those bears are, are habituated to close proximity no matter what whether it's a brown bear or a person or whatever they understand for them to survive they have to tolerate another bear within so many feet or so many yards and and there's tussles that go on and there's a lot of interaction but there's plenty of times where There'll be two bears fishing side by side. And then you interject people into that. And as long as you're chill, the bears don't even pay any attention to you because they've been habituated for so long to know that, you know, yeah, I'm going to have to tolerate this because we're all going to survive if we can all get to the salmon. But the bears in Anchorage, up where we film the moose, they're pretty much solitary. I'm sure they run across each other every now and then. And obviously during mating season, there's a lot of interaction between bears. But for the most part, when you see a bear around here, it's a solitary bear. It's way up on the hillside and it's eating berries or it's digging for ground squirrels or doing whatever, but it's, it has not a lot of interaction with other bears. So I think you, and you give those bears a lot more respect because they're not habituated. So while I'm totally comfortable and the cat my coast filming a brown bear at 30 feet. I definitely don't want to be in that situation around here. 
So are you uh, watching your step now a little more now that you saw that bear on that cam? That cam? I don't know, Eric, well, you might want to interject into this, but my my take on the whole thing has been really interesting this year, right? Because we've I've filmed at this place for the last six or seven or eight years. And you see the bears all the time up on the hillsides, and you really don't think about it. But now that we've had these trail cameras around, or these camera traps around, and you actually see bears in there, you're like, oh, I wonder if they've always been there. I'm sure they have. But I think they have the temperament, too. While we don't want to get that close to them, I think they don't want to have anything to do with us. And with the moose, you don't have to be, you're not tiptoeing through the woods. In fact, I like to be noisy because I want any animal to know that I'm there. And if they want to tolerate me, great. And if they'll let me get 50 yards and shoot footage, great. But I'm not going to try to sneak through the woods to try to get a shot. And I think these bears probably are like, oh, yeah here's a person I'm just going to hide or, you know, and a lot of times we're in these sparse forests where a bear could totally be 50 yards away and you'd never see it. Well, same with a moose. Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 They, you know, as big as they are, they can hide pretty, pretty well. And I say too, those days that we kind of like thinking back, looking at the days that we were not seeing a lot out there and that's essentially the day that the bear is tearing around through there. So that bear definitely kind of interrupted our, uh, nice peaceful moose area because <laughs> things quieted down for a little bit and everything dispersed so we always try and come up with ideas and oh this is what we think's happening or that's probably happening and then you know like something like the bear and we're like we don't know what i mean we could theorize but how many other influences are there that we just have no clue and being around bears in katmai different places they are so stinking quiet i mean you could have yeah. a massive bear walk right by you in a forest with sticks and stuff and you still don't hear anything with those big pads i've had a black bear walk you know i was out i have a stream that stream behind my house and i have some trail cameras up and trying to go set up one of my actual camera traps this fall because i have a log where i've always seen grizzlies kind of stop at and um check and i thought well i wonder if they're looking for washed up fish well hopefully that's the case and i'll capture that but I've set my bag down and walked 15 feet away and turned around and there was a bear staring at my bag. And I mean, I, I am as observant as I can possibly be. And they are sneaky and they're gone in two seconds. You know, they, how many times could they have been 10 feet behind me and turned around and just, you know, bailed on the situation. But I don't know if I would say that I'm changing my behavior in any way to, but yeah, always head on a swivel. And when you're in the heat of the moment, it's a good idea. Maybe the EVF isn't always the best because it's nice to have a good, you know, field of view in those situations to try and check yourself because stuff will pop up behind you pretty quick. Speaking of sp- stuff popping up, my buddy was up in the mountain and he has cameras set up there, and he sent me three mountain lions. We think it, we thought it was a mom and two like yearlings. He went up to go check the cameras and get the video off of it. And he got up in that area and there was four of them. And he said they just dispersed and he's, he was up there by himself. And so he's like, dude, there's four cats up here somewhere. <laughs> it's like, I'm never going to see him. So if I don't come home tonight, go get the camera stuff. So. <laughs> Did he actually get to see one with his eye or was it all based off of camera stuff? No, there were four of them sitting right in the middle of this old mining road. As soon as he came up around this corner 
because he was being relatively quiet just by himself. I guess he came around this corner and it kind of opens up. It's one of these where the, the trees have kind of grown around the road. And for whatever reason, there's just nothing growing in this road. And uh, maybe there's like a little grass and stuff in there. But you come around this corner and it just kind of opens up where there used to be a mining house. And he said when he got around there, there's four of them just sitting there. And they kind of just had this weird like, oh, that's a person. He's like, I'm sure they were. He was like, oh, my gosh, there's four cats. I don't. And he said he barked at them because he didn't know what else to do. And they dispersed. <laughs> wow. So did he keep he went he forged ahead and just went ahead and got the footage. And yep. Yeah, I don't think a healthy cat, I don't think, is going to try to take on a human. I think you hear stories about cats and humans, and yeah. it's either an adolescent or a, a, a older, you know, hurt individual that might look at a look at it as an opportunity. Well, and he's seen cats up there multiple times, so it's a very there's always a bunch of cats up there. So I'm not surprised by it. But well, maybe that's a place where we need to set up some GoPros this winter. It's just public. That's what scares me. Yeah, it's always better to have private land. Right. Well, speaking of the YouTube, since we know how-tos and what's-in-your-bag type videos are popular, mm. Brandon and I actually have a plan while mm. we're in Florida. We have good intentions. I don't think it's going to happen, but <laughs> I thought it would be cool to um, go through a what's-in-your-bag of what each one of us has taken to do a commercial shoot. And you're predominantly going to be shooting video. I'm predominantly going to be shooting stills for this particular project. And we'll just go through our bags and highlight what, you know, because what's involved with this one is travel. Mm -hmm. So I'm having to make sure I've got my gear. Everything I need to do is shoot with me in a checked-in or a carry-on bag. So that'll be interesting, hopefully. And Brandon's in the same way. And then there'll be other stuff that we'll bring that, we'll definitely need for the shoot, but it can go in a check on because we could do the shoot without it. If our bags got lost or something. Right. So we'll be able to highlight those for the upcoming YouTube stuff. And then also, uh, Eric's going to do the same thing with his. Yeah. My goal bag. once I'm doing better is to get outside, like I said, and set up a cognizant setup and try and show that process and see if we can successfully capture something crossing this log before the snow and ice freezes up and then they can use whatever they want. That'll be the main goal for the next couple of days while you guys are out and about. So you're going to do the whole, how to set up a actual camera trap. I'm going to try to, <laughs> if I have enough energy. <laughs> what is a Cognosis? So Cognosis has the, this, um, system. I mean, they utilize Pelican case with cutouts and stuff. I've kind of made my own DIY one, but it's, um, camera controller so you have battery system that you can run a dummy battery into the camera and then um, it receives wireless signals and transmits so you can have a combination of the passive infrared sensors the PIR which is just like your standard motion trigger and then there's also the active triggers where it's like a trip line you have two that aim at each other um, if you have a real targeted trail or a very specific it's more probably better for photography so you could really pinpoint the exact moment that you want that picture and then it'll also transmit out to either another device um, or led lights so i've got three lights i'm gonna have to wire up to since we're now at time of day where the you know, sun's down at seven ish and maybe back up around like eight eight thirty is enough light so 
when I have a good 12 hours or it's going to be shooting in the dark, um, which is also a challenge. But yeah, trying to put up sensors, lights, camera, and see if I can kind of give you an idea what, what that's like and what worked and what didn't work. And I don't know, hopefully it doesn't frustrate me too much again, because if you've done camera driving, you know, it's something will always go wrong and just hope it's not a critical component of the kit. But there's two batteries in the Cognosys kit. They've I'll get a couple months of running as long as it's not triggering a lot. So really, I just the issue is going to be setting up on the water and not having um, water triggers or having the whole kit go down the creek because I'm going to have to set up pretty close to it and anchor it somehow. So that's more in the springtime during the floods, right? Well, yeah, but the problem with these where I'm trying to set up is there's trees across. And so as stuff starts freezing, I mean, that, that water level in the Creek with the ice and stuff can jump up a couple of feet quick with some ice dams and then it snows and then that just builds up fast. So when you go out there in the spring, I mean, there's six feet or more of snow just into a hole down into the water whenever it's like, you know, freezing, refreezing, and then they'll start crossing the Creek everywhere. So I only really have the next couple months, maybe or a month to try and get it there. So the Cognizus is a brand too, right? There's probably three or four decent mm -hmm. systems out there. But when we say Cognizus, that's a brand of a camera trap. And it's a, I think it's a U.S. based, well, I know it's a U.S. based company. And then they service mostly the DSLR market. But there's a couple of companies based in the UK. And I think there's some up and comers. And then of course, you can run your GoPro as a camera trap, which isn't high as high a quality as a DSLR, but it's not bad. So Eric will just give us a insight into that process. But you don't have to go with Cognizus. That's just the one we happen to use. And it's kind of like the industry standard. Yeah, cam traptions makes a decent kind of more entry level kit. Maybe it's probably more geared towards stills. I, I don't think the unless they've updated the video configuration wasn't as convenient. Cambush is a new company that's in the last year and they're just making really small cubes that they're utilizing Sony's, uh, I can't remember the model, like the RX 100 or something. It's basically kind of like a GoPro that Sony makes and they're using that as a camera. But then they're also including um, tiny little mic ports on the front so you can put a separate mic in there and it has its own battery system and um, utilizes the same like infrared sensor. I think it's built into the kit, but I'm not sure if you can add on. Some of the kits allow like Cognosys brand sensors to also interplay, but I'm going to use my Sony A7S III input out there because I need that low light overnight and see what we can get in the dusk and evening times. Coyotes, lynx, bears maybe. We'll see. Hopefully something shows up. For it. Eric got a Wolverine in Anchorage last year. That's cool. Yeah. Yep. So that'll be the, the springtime target <laughs> revamp the project for that too. Cause I, if it stays true, I, we may be able to do it. It's got a pretty good pattern that it's developed over the last couple of years. So I just need to not be on That's cool. crutches and a, <laughs> a huge <laughs> cast for three months of the winter this year to do it we got a lot of work ahead of us i'm hearing i know yeah we got a lot of work and we got a lot of uh grandiose plans the editing is the killer i mean i have awesome shooting plans and i usually can get those done but i think brand well we all had a conversation the other day i have 
we're using DaVinci Resolve for our editing and it'll transcribe. So if I go out and do a bunch of dumb GoPro stuff all day long and there's no congruency at all, you know, or I'll do one in the morning on one day and then I don't pick it up the rest of the day. And then the next morning I'm like, oh, hey, I'm out here this morning. I was thinking, man, it'd be super cool if you could transcribe all that, take that whole transcription, throw it in chat GPT, tell chat GPT to use this transcript and it only and write us a script so that we can go cut it all together. And then I think that's going to be a big fail. I do too. But it'd be super cool if it would. I'd be amazing. Because the amount of time it's going to take to go through all this stuff that I thought was brilliant at the time. And now that I look at it, it's pretty dumb. Story of YouTube. <laughs> yep. I don't know. That's about all I got. I'm a little, I haven't started packing and I fly out at 11 o'clock tonight. So I'm starting to get a little nervous about what am I going to take? I'm and then the you. other thing is, is I don't have any nice clothes up here. So what am I going to do? I might have to go shopping <laughs> when we get to Florida. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit. We aren't 100% sure what the dress code is. We don't. Yeah, like this is very much a, so it's for an event. We can say that much. And so it's very much running gun. And so you, you don't bring a lot of stuff. You don't have a lot of tripods. You don't have any, pretty much anything that's big you don't bring with you because you just can't carry it, right? We don't have assistance. We don't do anything. It's all shot by us. It's all schlepped by us. And so it turns into a how much do you want to carry and how much do you want to put up with? Always a conundrum. But I end up usually just with like a, I'm probably just going to bring the FX3 and the A1 and just let her go. We'll see. I guess you'll have to watch the video, see what's in her bag. <laughs> see, I do. Before I let you guys go anywhere, do you guys know why the camera person got arrested for using fast shutter speeds? <laughs> yeah, I want to know. <laughs> Indecent exposure. Brandon's joke of the day. Yeah, who's the dad of the channel? <laughs> oh, uh, awesome. I do have one last thing on the commercial side. For I've been doing a lot of low light stuff for companies on their event side and i've had two events now where they did not want flash going off one was because they had a concert going on at the same time and they didn't want the artist dealing with the flash so that was a request from the the client to not use flash and the second one was that it was four hours and they did not want flash going off for four hours so i've been using just a high iso and a fast lens but both venues had terrible led lights and what that means with these new mirrorless cameras is you're going to get banding. And I haven't had that problem for a while. Like most places I shoot now have decent LEDs and decent lighting where you can get around that. But for Sony shooters, I can't say for any other camera brand, all you need to do is disable your front electronic front shutter and just go to a mechanical shutter and it fixes all of that. And I don't know, maybe you've probably had the same problem, Michael. Is it the same thing for you? You just disable the, the E shutter and you're, you're good to go. I never have switched over to the e-shutter, so I guess I've okay. probably never had that problem so because I still, I'm pretty old school that way. And, you know, I, my big worry is if I was on an e-shutter and I was shooting 20 frames a second, it's just more stuff to deal with, right? Yeah. Well, I had a sport. I was doing a football one before this, so I was stuck on silent and 30 frames a second on the A1. So you just don't want to miss that catch. I can tell you one time I went to... uh I was doing a production for TV and this is early on in my career and I didn't know about the 50 Hertz and 60 Hertz. So in Europe it's 50 and here it's 60. So our cameras are all set up for 60 over here. 
I got over there and I was shooting all this stuff. And I kept seeing it in the screen. I'm like, I don't know what that is. I mean, like, hopefully it's going to be fine. And I shot a whole production with this banding going through. And nobody told me. And all I would have had to do is go in and change it in the menu system. I don't even know if that camera at that time. And this, we're talking 20 years ago. But that whole production had, I still see it sometimes on TV. You'll see banding in some of the, you'll see it a lot on YouTube. But I still even see it on broadcast TV where you'll see some banding, and that's exactly what it is. It's just the the rate in which that light is working and, and then what your camera is set up to capture. Any of the new cameras aren't going to have a problem. I will say if you're using, like, the, it's the only time I've had, I was using the A7 IV and the A1. When you go to that and you disable it, your sensor is doing all the work versus the, the camera being able to go line by line. It's the first time that that A7 IV has actually been a little deficient for me on the speed side. It still was negligible, but I definitely saw the difference in the the cameras at that point in time. So it's when you start pushing these cameras, I think, at the the spectrums where you start noticing a difference. But, I mean, that A7 IV is still my favorite hybrid camera. It's the one I carry for almost everything. So Hybrid as in shooting video and stills, Video right? and stills, yeah, because... Any more budgets are so small. I mean, you, I'm preaching to the choir with you, but for those that haven't done this, the budgets are so small anymore that you're not getting a video shooter or a photo shooter. You're getting both. And so you better know how to take photos and video and do it at the same time and be able to put a story together, catch audio. And so it just turns into this, like, how do I have redundancy in everything that I do on both sides. And so you end up carrying two cameras. One camera has like a transceiver system on it. So you can put like a lav, a microphone, uh, lavalier setup. So you can put it on someone and then you end up carrying a shotgun mic on top of your stills camera. And it's just a whole production. And then I wear it on my body. And so I look like a wedding photographer and I got one on like a modify. It's a whole. But you're exactly right about the budgets. I mean, not only do you have, restraints in monetary budgets it's time budgets too right so what they would used to give you eight hours to do now you're getting four hours so you really have to be productive and have a good handle on all your stuff well the one we're going to do is pretty awesome because we got all week we got a whole week and we do have someone brandon shooting video i'm shooting stills and we'll both shoot flip-flop so i'll shoot video too and he'll shoot stills too but his focus will be that and my focus will be that. So it's, there's still clients that know the game and know what's going to get their best. But but even them, they want to highlight video every day. Right. So we're having to turn stuff around every day. So we're taking an editor with us too. So it's going to, someone that's going to be editing daily. So it ends up being a pretty big deal, which is, it's kind of cool though. I mean, nowadays the equipment, you know, the, the technology is there to do it. Well, and then to go off on like maybe just another, I know I've already ranted a few times today, but I'm in a mood. Uh, <laughs> we do it to ourselves. Like for anyone that's trying to get in the space, right? They, they don't have the clientele. And I think everyone starting out is guilty of it. You just want the work. And so then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'll do it for a hundred. Oh, I'll do it for 50. Oh, I'll do it for 20 oh, i'll just do it for free and then next thing you know you have all these clients that are like well the last guy did it for free you're like well 
I have a mortgage. I got a, I got a camera. So we do. And if they did it for free, what did you get out of it? Because recently you were telling me about a job where somebody was like, "Oh, hey, you did a pretty good job, and we actually like what you did. It was way better than the last person, but you actually got a little bit more money than that person probably did, and you were able to solve all their problems. And in the long run." it saves them money because they're not going to have to go reshoot it. Right. So I think you got to approach these jobs like that. You got to be efficient and productive mm-hmm. and over deliver under promise and over deliver. And you need to hold, you need to be, what am I trying to say? You need to say, yeah, it's going to cost this much. You need to you be can't honest say, with yourself I can't, on what it's going to cost. Yeah. Yeah. You can't just say, well, I need to pay my, I need to buy a new lens or I need to pay my mortgage. I just got to do it for half. Well, and that the person or the the group you're talking about. So this, the, the lady reached out to me individually through her personal email because she was so hesitant to put her company out there that she worked for. So she reached out on her own personal email, did everything through her personal email I show up on location and it's a large client, but they were so worried about having a bad date, we'll call it, right? Because it's like speed dating, right? You'd have like this, can you do this? Yes, I can do it. Okay, how much is it going to cost? And so it's this this negotiation and then you get to a business deal, then the videographer has to show up on location and do it. And so I showed up on location and got all my stuff up and I was ready to go. They walked on. We had it done in 20 minutes. I had my stills camera with me, and it was for people in the field. And actually, I can talk about this. I'm not under. They were fine with that. So it's for a construction company, and it was for Hispanic Heritage Month. There was some people that had done really well in the field, and they wanted to interview them and just kind of honor them that way and talk about their family, where they came from. They were all people that moved to America, at, so they're all first generation, and really interesting stories, right? And you want to capture that on video because it tells a great story from the individual. It's great for the business. And we blasted right through it. So I was like, well, let's do some headshots for you guys and we can update your headshots. And so I'm always trying to, like, headshots for me, like, yes, there's headshot companies out there, but that is something you have to like go out and get and they're going to give you one photo. If I can just add that on real quick for five minutes, that's something that, that's an instant win for them. And then if you just come in from the car side, I shoot everything like I would shoot a Ferrari, right? So if you just say like, this is the Ferrari and I need to make it look good and you just have that mindset, I think you're probably going to do pretty well. That's how I try to do everything is just shoot it like it's a Ferrari. But it boils down to under promise and over deliver. So if there's a value added thing that you can do, it's not going to take a lot of time because again, you don't want to circumvent what we were just saying with the money. Totally. You don't want to over give because right. there's value in what you're bringing. But if it's going to take five minutes and nowadays with social media, so if, if you're producing a video for them, but yet they want to promote it on social media, then yeah, a headshot might be perfect for that. Right. Totally. So it's like one yeah, of those little, in. just quickly done things that will, they'll be like, Oh, you know what? I'm going to call Brandon again. Cause that guy, totally over delivered didn't overcharge yep. 
you know, was reasonable, was efficient, got the job done. Well, and the other thing is I don't want to write that they'd hired me for four hours and there's that whole, I'm sure everyone's seen it, but it's a whole way you, you cost so much and you got the, there. it's a job, it's a story of a plumber, right? I think is the way that it goes on social media nowadays where this woman has a sink and it won't drain. So she calls a company. She ends up going through three different companies. They can't fix the plumbing issue. Finally, she sees this guy that's driving around an old beat up truck and he has a bunch of parts everywhere. He doesn't have any advertising. He goes, oh yeah, I can fix it for you, but it's going to be this much money and it's twice as much as the other plumbing companies. He walks right in, fixes it in 20 minutes. She goes, well, I had to pay you twice as much, but you only fixed, you were only here for 20 minutes. And he goes, well, why do you have to pay less for the experience that I'm bringing to it, right? That's what you're paying for. So I think that's where you need to get to. But if someone pays you for a half day of shooting, like, and you bang it out in 20 minutes, you got to make yourself, you got to make sure that they're, they're willing to say, okay, yeah, that was worth it. So that was a little bit of my worry there as well. Well, it's the value add. And I think, yeah the client that we're going to go shoot for coming up, that's how I've stayed working with yep. for them for since 2007 is I always was trying to either help them out with more ideas or, you know, give them something that they weren't expecting and they just appreciate it. And then when you have, when you develop those relationships, they are, they know, Hey, I could even send these guys out and I don't even need to go with them because they know the drill. It's just that whole comfort thing. So, Yep. Spending time doing that stuff and, but being very calculated about it, don't give away the farm, right. but over deliver, it's just a, it's a dance and you just got to learn how to, how to make it work. I don't have much else. I like the fact that we're doing the commercial side of things, but also the wildlife side of things and mm-hmm. how it all works. And I mean, I think these days, I mean, unless you, oh, well. You got to do it all right. You got to so. have some, um, back in the day, if you were a photograph jewelry, that's just what you did. Right. Nowadays you have to photograph jewelry, but you might have to go photograph a, you know, a car race. And then you might have to go do a football game or whatever. You just got to kind of be efficient. And the technology nowadays really allows for that. Right. Our right. cameras are so good. There's a lot of, you know, it's not a lot of specialty stuff but you have to be kind of a, it's a funny. So when I was on corporate, right, I dealt with wall street a lot and I was at a public company that was traded on the stock market. And so we would always be told like, we don't want you to diversify. We'll do that through our portfolio. Right. But from a company perspective, they like, you always want to be diversified because you're in one thing. If you're Kodak and film goes away, you're game over. Right. And so it's the same thing for photographers and videographers, right? So if you're one sector and AI comes in and says, okay, we can, well, I think writers are feeling that on Hollywood, right? And I think that's why we're seeing some of the strikes we are, is they're worried that some of this writing from AI side is going to replace them. I think that's yet to be seen, but there's definitely a benefit to being diversified in everything. And so I think, yeah, to your point, yeah, being able to shoot wildlife cars and landscapes and people is fantastic. Being able to film and photograph people, if you have those people skills, you're going to do fine. I'll say that. 
first of all. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing you bring to the whole thing is your personality and being able to just talk to anybody and is huge. Yeah, that's what gets yeah. you time. I mean, technically, you got all this stuff, right? But it's more right. just how you interact with people and right. you treat every every person no differently. Everybody's, you know, that that is going to give you the success more than anything. I do have a funny story if we can tell it. If we got another five minutes, sure. Yeah, we got. We can let this thing go for three hours. We can do a whole Joe Rogan podcast if you want. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, we don't have the the the. Be- he has seven minutes of sponsors or 10 minutes of sponsors or something in the beginning. Right. Good thing. There's a fast forward, but can you, can you read our list of sponsors right now, Michael? <laughs> yep. <laughs> we are sponsored by this cable. <laughs> I don't even know the brand, but I highly recommend it. Uh, that's funny. Uh, so speaking of people, I'm at this event. I get this clandestine, we want you to be here at this time to photograph people. Okay. And I try and push and I try and what is, what is it? It's just an event. It's a dinner. Okay, fine. Like I'll, I'll make it happen. So I show up and it's in a nice place. It's actually the same place that I've done some uh, like engagement photos. So I'm thinking fancy dinner for a company, right? Like a corporate, a, well, and it's not time for a holiday party. So I was, I was, I don't know, maybe it's a celebration of how long they've been in business or something, but you're making up all these things in your head. It turns out to be one of those dinners where the financial advisor had mailed out a bunch of stuff and free dinner. And so, oh gosh, and they did it through like anyone that was older than 62 years old. At 4.30, they rolled out a cheat. There's 320 people that show up to this thing. At 4.30, they roll out a cheese tray that's like 12 inches in diameter. And that's it. That's their dinner? That's, well, like, that's it for for an hour. And so then this financial advisor gets up there and starts pitching high-yield annuities. And that's not what we're here for today. It takes an hour and 15 minutes. And so... If, like, my parents are around that age, they eat at like four thirty, five o'clock, or or it's like they have lunch at three o'clock and then they just they're done, right? So this crowd is getting like unruly. At seven o'clock, they finally well, and it gets worse. So like after the financial advisor, they bring off this band and they make them just sit there and listen to the band for an hour. They don't serve food. The food's ready like just sitting there on the catering tables next to where everyone can see it, but they have to watch the band. And finally they like open the gates. They just like devour all of the food. And then they're like, well, desserts after the second set. And so it was just like, people were yelling. It was a disaster. And so my job as the photographer was to catch happy, smiling faces. Didn't you tell me that they were like, the woman was mad because you weren't shooting and but all these people are eating. Yeah, that was the other. Yes. You, so I was walking because you work the room, right? And in most places you can go up the center, you can film the speaker or photograph the speaker. They had packed it so full that I couldn't even get in between the seats. And so I was just working their perimeter. And so I was working over by where they were sitting. And she looks at me and she's like, take pictures, take the pictures. <laughs> And this guy had been on 
they use the same he had a whole computer in front of him but it was the same graph for 90 minutes didn't change a slide <laughs> didn't do anything and he stood in the same spot just and today we're going to talk about high income or high yield annuities and we're going to do it through blah 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 and it was i mean how many photos do you need of this right so i shot 500 photos of this dude through chairs through heads under armpits like through the chairs through the balcony from the top balcony like wide panoramas well the funniest part about that story is they want you to take pictures and nobody thinks about oh yeah we're having a dinner and then yeah. it's just bad form to be filming people eating right it's just you just oh, don't just... do it and right but then you feel like someone sees you they just hired you to do this job and then you're sitting over there waiting for people to finish eating because right. it's just what do you want a, somebody putting a big old fork in their mouth of food i mean that's what are you going to use that picture for nothing right well and it was that one was tough just because they would do it by, table by table and so there was always these lines along the side so i had to work in between the line and the table and so you're like kind of kneeled down because you don't want to shoot up right like looking down on them that's a not a good photo for them to use and so you're like kind of down with people eating next to you or you're in line with the people but you kneel down and it was sporty <laughs> yeah so i guess it goes to show you just need to pick and choose your jobs wisely i'd still do that one again i mean it's no skin off my back it was still fun i got paid they're going to get good photos of all these people. So job success, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just a word of the wise of maybe. Yeah. If you want to be a full-time freelancer, it's not always going to be moose and bears in the, the Alaskan mountains. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. There's a whole lot of just like, man, this is not glamorous at all, but they need to tell the story. Right, yep. And that actually pays the bills I better mean, better than the wildlife yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yep. I can sometimes make in a week doing commercial stuff what I make in 30 days doing wildlife. Yep. I just love doing the wildlife so much that I'll, I'll do it. It's just more fulfilling for me. That's just my interest. If you've reached it this far and... It is still 2023. Reach out to me and I will send you one of our little sticker packs because we have been rambling here. But you made it this far. And we're done, I think. So like, yep. subscribe, follow us on Instagram, follow us on YouTube. We'll see you next time, I guess.